We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 109, Planeswalker, Texas Ranger. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I am fantastic, David. How are you? Uh, I think I'm coming down with another spring cold, so you might have to find another emergency guest next week. We shall see. No, I'm just uh, struggling through the, uh, the the spring up here is pollinated and disgusting, and everything is gross and dusty and dirty. Um, but I'm here with you, so it's equivalently dusty and gross and dirty now. You can actually see into this room, huh? <laughs> I mean, I know you don't live like a bachelor, but... Yeah, you're really that, selling me on visiting Calgary at some point. It's that stream life, yo. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, how's your adventures in uh, streaming limited exclusively this week been? I see you've uh, been doing a lot of M19. I have been. I've actually been having a lot of fun with it. I've drafted good decks. I've drafted decks where we were super serious and tried to read the signals like we were at a table. I've drafted decks where we were trying to take advantage of the bots. And I've drafted decks for fun and, like... It may sound silly, but it was kind of refreshing to do a couple drafts where like winning wasn't the main focus. It was just fun. So I got to resolve Lathless and then untap and cast Nickel Bolus and make Bolus Babies. Like, obviously that's exciting. Is that canon? I don't feel like that's canon. I'm pretty sure that's canon. Isn't she like Nickel Bolus's girlfriend or something? I have no idea. I don't really pay attention to the M19, the corset stories. I'm more of a... Uh... Uh, uh, actual story, not like the the side comic book adventures that happen in the M nineteen. You don't like the fanfic? I don't like the fanfic. Well, if no. it's not canon, there's certainly fanfic about that one. Um, this got to be. And then I did. I, I've, I've done several psychic corrosion decks. Uh, those are always terrible, but they're a lot of fun. And I had a deck where I picked every card that either had a dragon on it, referenced a dragon, or looked like it might be of interest to dragons, uh, like goblins. They're snacks. And that was the easiest seven wins of my life. It was a mono-red deck with 16 lands. Uh, and the the highlight of it was dual casting and act of treason for lethal. Uh, and that, that was really fun. So, like, I, I've, I've run the gamut of it. I'm excited to see the format rotate. Excited to play some best of three. Super excited for War of the Spark. Um, but I, I'm, I'm having a blast. Well- who are you and what have you done with Travis? Because none of this sounds like anything you would ever say ever. So I'm curious. Are you sick too? Well, no. Part of like part of what drove me to be as hyper-competitive as I was before is the prize payouts were such that like you were like drastically rewarded for doing that. And in best of one, you're just kind of not. And also the my fans basically said, we want to see you draft and we're going to support that and make that content a reality. And they did. So like once I'm freed from I have to win, you know, in order to to, to keep this juggle going to let's have some fun, I, I found that I can have fun and still win, uh, which is kind of pretty freeing and exciting. Like I feel free to try out strategies and cards that I haven't tried before. And in exploring that, I found a few things that worked in, in even a, a relatively like 
shallow set like a core set, I've still done some really cool stuff. Yeah, it, it, core set does have, I mean, it, it does get boring pretty quick, I find. I've done a couple now, and I'm like, I'm just ready for this to rotate. But, um, you know, I did have some fun with it. You know, the... Uh, Having having the ten color pairs, or at least having all of the color pairs be options, is kind of refreshing after a couple of sets where it's not really. Yeah. Or or, or you're you're jamming three color three color decks quite frequently because that's just the best thing to do. So it, it was refreshing to do the M nineteen. Um, I'm ready to get out of this lame duck period. I think, uh, and this is my it's the most wonderful time of the year. No, it's uh, it's not. But the uh, kind of the last two weeks. You know, spoiler season is ramping up and all the cards are almost spoiled. You can see the excitement. You can see the finish line or the, or the start line, I guess, depending on your on your <laughs> perspective here. And then I look down at the clock and I've still got like 15 days until this comes out on Arena or whatever it is. I don't even know. 25th, I think. Something like that. So I still got two weeks to go and it's just like, what am I going to do for the next two weeks? So here we are brainstorming what we can do for the next two weeks to fill that gap mm-hmm. and uh i mean one of the things we wanted to talk about obviously are the meme draft decks or it doesn't even have to be the meme draft draft decks it can be drafting things you've never drafted before which i think is interesting so and you mentioned this where like if you're you're competitive hyper competitive trying to win all the time sometimes they're depending on how much you draft and depending on the way you approach draft for, for the people that aren't looking to necessarily break the format, they're just really looking to be consistent in the format, they might not get that opportunity to try to, you know, express themselves creatively in a draft format. And M19, I think, was also pretty bad for that in general. I think we talked about this a few times, but, um, you know, it, it seems like that the opportunity for skill expression is not necessarily there compared to, let's say, a format like uh, Ravnica Allegiance, where, you know, the Dovin's Acuity deck, the Gate deck, you know, things like that, these kind of, like, fringe decks at the start that became powerhouses once people started to figure that out you know i think there's a real opportunity in these these draft formats that are kind of old and nobody's really taking them seriously necessarily to to express yourself and try to find the limits of your limited game or to to you know even find new limited games i guess a new limited game inside you so for example maybe you don't necessarily draft control maybe you're not a very good control limited player and to find a true control deck in limited is pretty tough but, you know, I've drafted M19 decks where it was pure control centered around Nicol Bolas and a bunch of walls and just trying to grind my opponent out of resources. And that was a deck style that I'd never really played before. But coming back to M19 and drafting that gave me the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone here. So it wasn't necessarily a meme, but it certainly was, you know, making myself or making giving myself a, a a goal or a task or a challenge of broadening my horizons. And I think it worked really well. And I think M19 was a really good set for that, for me to do that, because it was pretty low stakes in general. Yeah, and you know, I, th- I think you're really onto something there. And I think you've hit the nail on the head and exactly what I was doing, but maybe couldn't really put my finger on. We talked in a previous episode about how there's basically three draft archetypes of player, right? You've got Andy Agro, Mike Midrange, and Debbie Dirtle. And like for me, I'm a very consistent mid-range player. That's always what I'm looking to do. But one good one good thing about M19, and sure, there's stuff to criticize, but one thing that's great about it is there's definite aggro strategies there, mid-range strategies and control strategies. And I guess what I've actually been doing is exploring both of those. 
So for me, getting to play a control deck or getting to play a deck that Goblin Motivator is actually good in is a, a very different change of pace for me than what I'm used to. So like going back to this core set for a couple days or, or even when we get back to uh, Ravnica, going back and drafting a deck that's not quite the style you're used to might be something you could have a lot of fun with. Yeah, a quick draft is definitely the place to do it. I think the um, the, the, the cost-benefit or, or the uh, the expected value, I guess, of your of your drafts in Quick Draft are pretty reasonable as long as you're winning a couple of games here and there. And if you have the whole collection, you get that kind of subsidy, that discount on that. So I think, you know, if you're willing to put down three or four hundred gems a draft on average, I think that's a really good opportunity to do that. It kind of sucks that we can't do that necessarily in the best of three without you know spending a lot more, um, because I think the best of three format would also be useful you know, to, to get more games with your deck or to get, you know, the opportunity to sideboard and maybe change your deck. But, you know, I'll take it where I can get it. And uh, I, I don't mind the best of ones for that experimentation and the expression. Um, and just appreciate that how fast these drafts go. Like I was done an M19 draft start to finish seven wins in like an hour and change. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, okay, great. What am I going to do now? I might as well fire up another one. So uh, yeah, it's it's been pretty good, but I... I'm really looking forward to something new. I'm really looking forward to uh, to War of the Spark and seeing. Um, I guess it looks like it's going to be a, a, a like a ten color pair format, like a traditional draft format, um, not locked into the guild gates and, and things like that. So I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of a a, a core set like field or a normal set like feel uh, in an, in a completely different environment. I'm I'm really really anticipating that. Yeah, it's always exciting when a new set comes out and it's got that multicolor, ooh, I can play three or four colors, but once everybody starts doing it, it, it kind of degenerates into who got the best three or four color deck. And I actually do like drafts where you're kind of limited by, I have to pick two colors and stick to it. And like, you can splash, but there's a legitimate cost. Uh, so it, I'm, I'm excited to return to that as well. I, I feel like it gives you more variety over time. I can't think of a draft format at all that I've played in that didn't have some kind of fixing at, at common or, or like, you know, like an evolving wilds, the bare minimum. Is there anything recently that you can think of that, that had like, like you said, like basically everybody drafted two color pairs and it was pretty rare to, to want to splash a third because of the cost. I'm kind of racking my brain and I'm not thinking of anything. Cause I'm really curious. Like I haven't really done the, the number crunch on this set, but like, you know, you can always, you can go into the collector's numbers and the, and see kind of what lands are going to be there and what lands aren't going to be there. And there's not a lot of room left for lands in this format. So I'm wondering what the common or uncommon fixing is. And I'm wondering if we'll ever get a set or I'll ever get to play with a set that doesn't have an, a, a tap land or an evolving wilds or anything like that. Um, there's a, I think there's a Nissa spell, uh, like a sorcery that lets you search for forests. But if you have a Nissa planeswalker, you can search for other types of land as well but that doesn't necessarily count so i'm really curious to see you know what our land fixing is going to look like in this set if we have any at all yeah i'd, I'd actually be kind of down if we didn't yeah to be like you want to splash put in two two basics and cross your fingers <laughs> but i was just curious i should go back and look to see what the last set we had that didn't have an evolving wild or something along the same lines but whatever so obviously in the lame duck period there's other things going on. We have the uh, the other magical program, the Magic Online, 
uh, they've got Cube that's been going on, and you've been having a ton of fun with Cube. I haven't had the opportunity to play it. You know me, I'm not necessarily a Cube guy, um, but what uh, what's your experience been like with Cube this time around? It looks like Legacy Cube with a bunch of changes. Yeah, it is. Chion went through and revamped it. So far, I like the changes. It's been a blast. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a cube is kind of like they took the greatest constructed decks of all time throughout Magic's history, divided them up into booster packs, and now you're going to draft those. Uh, so like you're you're drafting with very powerful cards, very old cards. Um, it's priced to move at you know ten bucks a draft. You're going to get your three games. If you win two of them, you get your ten bucks back. Uh, if you win, you know. Three, you're up a little bit. If you you know only win one, you're down a little bit. Whatever. So it's relatively flat. It's phantom. You don't keep any of the cards. And like this is actually my favorite cube where they have all of the powerful cards, but none of the power nine. Uh, so you don't have to worry about somebody you know having ancestral recall or you know turn one black lotusing you. That can be fun for a little while, but I can't sit and grind that. Uh, so I, I think this is actually a really good cube to get into. If you're looking to cube and you haven't done it before, you don't need to have any Magic Online collection. Just need to have ten bucks and a little bit of patience with the program. Um, and you can sit down and say, "I'm going to draft White Weenie or Mono Red," and draft it. And you can figure out what those decks do. And just don't even look at the other cards. You can get a deck and play it. And then by seeing what your opponents do, you get an idea for what the other decks do as well. Uh, so I, I think it's a very approachable cube. I think this is actually the beginner cube uh, to, to kind of get people into it. So if, if you're looking for something to do, you got 10 bucks burning a hole in your pocket and you think it might be fun to play with some old cards, give cube a try. Yeah, and it's not even really 10 bucks. Like, it's pretty easy to go one tube in that cube and get five tickets back. So you can do, you know, whatever that is, three drafts for, for 20 tickets or whatever, which is a pretty good rate, I think. Yeah. Okay. The other thing you can do in Lame Duck Period, which you I don't think you normally can, or at least we haven't been able to do this in a while, but I think Standard's in a really good spot right now. I know you haven't been playing much Standard, but like I've been basically searching, the scouring the depths of the internet for a deck that I like that I can win with. And um, surprisingly, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of decks that people are reporting, you know, I got to Mythic with this deck, and I think it's kind of crazy, and I don't know if it's necessarily that all of these are, are like tier one decks so that you'd see them all at the pro tour but for as, as far as it goes on mad or on, on magic arena you know i can sit down and play five or six games of of magic before i go to sleep at night and i will play against five or six different decks and i will play against one or two decks that i haven't seen yet and i think it's really cool that um that that standards in such a really good such a good spot and i don't know if that's the set design and the play design team that's come up with that, or if the fact that there's just more magic being played digitally, like on arena that people are exploring the space and people that are free to play with their wildcard restrictions or their, whatever they've opened out of their packs are maybe just forced to be a little more creative and they don't have the entire, you know, wealth of all of the magic cards at their fingertips necessarily. Um, and I think that's really cool. So, you know, kudos to whoever is responsible for this, but I think standard has been a ton of fun right now. The only downside is, is I can't find a deck I can win with. Huh. And, and I don't have to tell you how demoralizing it is to, like, you know, read a report of somebody making it to Mythic. It's like, I went from Gold 3 to Mythic without dropping a game, and it only took me three hours. And I'm like, oh, man, I got I to gotta try this deck. I got all the, the things. I'm going to spend two wild cards on lands. Let's do this. Let's get in there. Like, four hours later in a 30% win rate, and it's like, what am I doing wrong? 
Well, that that's that's the hardest part. That is one thing to bear in mind about standard. Like, I don't play standard often. I usually play it when, I, like, I'm I'm prepping for a tournament or getting really excited about something like that. Um, but I did hit mythic last season with the Gruel Warriors deck, and I think that still got a lot of game. Um, part of what made it good was that it was pretty dang good against mono blue. And like, I didn't see a whole lot of that in the queues at the beginning of the month when I was playing again, but the deck was pretty resilient. I think what it works out to is like, if you've got enough time and a decent deck, you can probably hit mythic if you're willing to invest that. And if you don't have the time, it probably doesn't matter how good your deck is. You're you're not going to get it. Yeah, exactly. Anybody with a positive win rate can get there with enough time spent. I think we've done the math on that one. Um, a few times yeah it's just uh i don't know what it is for me but like you know maybe it's i think actually i think sideboarding now that i think about it i think the sideboarding is the piece that uh that is probably most detrimental to my game and uh and also mulligan decisions so actually being able to to play six or seven or eight matches a day of of magic arena standard is really driven home you know a lot of my mulligan decisions or like you know things that i need to be learning about my game or about the decks that i'm playing um has really exposed that to me as a player so i can appreciate that and i can appreciate that i need to take the time and get better so i guess this lame duck period is probably a pretty good opportunity for that right now i'm actually playing i'm playing right now i've got mono white with blue uh for sideboard counter spells which is really good i had a, a, a lot of success with that i think it was an uh deck from from Ari Lax, I think, that I was playing. I think he had a sideboard guy that I was looking at. And then I've been playing a mono green Stompy with uh, with red, so not quite mono green, for uh, Thrash, Thrash Threat, which I learned hits Planeswalkers, which is kind of crazy, and uh, Cinder Vines in the sideboard. So it's been a lot of fun uh, trying new things, playing a bunch of cards that I'd never played before, like Growth Chamber Guardian and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool to broaden my horizons from the limited perspective. But two weeks, and then we're War of the Spark, and I... I can't wait to to jam that for, I don't know. We'll see how much time I can get at it, but uh, I'm certainly going to give standard up for at least a month. Yeah, usually that's what happens when a new limited set comes out as everybody dives in. And I I think this time I'm going to stick around and just do limited the whole cycle. Uh, Whenever we figure out what the format is for the Mythic Championship weekend qualifiers, obviously I'm going to have to do some prep then. Uh, But I'll have some Planeswalkers to choose from. I mean, how could it not be standard? It's probably going to be standard, and I'm probably going to build a deck with Nicol Bolas in it. We'll see. No, man. you got to go for the win. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> you got to go for the win. I can dream, but, though. But um, you can dream. Hopefully, it won't be duo best of one standard. <laughs> you no comment on that one? I'm not taking that bait, no. All right. No bait. No bait on that one. <laughs> Excuse me. I think that's actually um, the only thing we do know about it is that it won't be best of one. Do we know that for sure? I think that's the only thing that they've said about it. Oh, well, that would be refreshing if it was best of threes. I think if they played it like they would a GP, except maybe everybody auto-drops at two losses, so it's kind of like double elimination, but like they shrink the number of players in the tournament quite rapidly, I think. Um, I, I think that that would be a good format to try on Magic Arena, and I think it would be fitting of the format, of the like the number of players and the stakes that are on the line and things like that. I think that would be a really good format. I still kind of envision a a queue that you join with your token and it's got the bubbles for 10 wins and the dots for two losses. It's like, go. It it very well could be like, they don't have any kind of tournament software in game. Yeah. They might have tournament software outside of the game, Um, but that would be pretty hard for them to manage. Um, 
but yeah, I guess as long as you got paired up against people with the same record, it would be pretty good. Yeah, you, I mean, you might have to sit in a queue for a little bit, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we can speculate about that. That'll that's a, still a few months away, so we'll see what that does. So the other thing I like to do in lame duck period is I like to look at spoilers, and I know you don't like to look at spoilers, but I think that we have a unique opportunity here to look at the Planeswalkers in War of the Spark because I think this is going to challenge our limited evaluations, and I mean the general hour, like everybody's limited evaluations, um, because I think it's something that we've we've never really seen before. It's got combinations of things, or it, it it's similar to things that we've seen before, so like similar to sagas or um, you know other Planeswalkers we've seen in the past or creatures that have you know a bunch of abilities on them that are similar to Planeswalkers. But I think that, that these are going to be challenging to evaluate, and I'd like to spend a little bit of time maybe, you know, theorizing or um, or maybe even talking about a couple of these planeswalkers and trying to figure out how we're going to approach it from evaluating them at a limited perspective. Um, I think there's still a few that need to be spoiled, but we're going to have to do our set preview in a couple of weeks anyway, so I think this is a good opportunity to get out in, in advance of that, and then we can come back with our true evaluations once we've seen the whole set. But for those that haven't seen... Uh, and don't know, we are getting basically a Planeswalker in every pack of War of the Spark. So in Limited, you're going to see a bunch of Planeswalkers going around. You're always going to open a Planeswalker. And for the first time ever, we have Planeswalkers at Uncommon. And we have Planeswalkers as rare at, as, at Rare as well, which I don't think we've actually seen in a draftable set. I don't remember if the original lore ones were Mythics or, or Rares. They were Rare. We've seen, we've seen... Okay, there you go. And we've seen Rare Planeswalkers in non-draftable sets in the... Um, uh, not not the commanders, but the planeswalker decks. So we're kind of kind of familiar with how how they're costed or how they're supposed to work. But the uncommon ones are basically brand new to me. So what we're looking at for the uncommon planeswalkers, and this is common to all of them, is that they only have a minus ability. So you're basically getting a sorcery speed spell of some kind with flashback, maybe maybe flashback twice, um, and then some kind of static ability. So like. Uh, maybe an anthem effect or um, picture like an enchantment that has a, a static ability on it that says, you know, you get hexproof or, um, you know, all your lands tap for an extra mana or whatever. There's there's these these abilities that just stick around for as long as the planeswalkers on the table. So obviously the difference here is, is that these planeswalkers are can be attacked mm-hmm. and they have that activated ability when they come into play as well. So, you, so I think there's, <coughs> excuse me, missed my cough button there. I think the challenging thing to evaluate on these is that I don't think they can compare to each other as easy as as easily as creatures can, um, or as easily as, as like the mythic planeswalkers. So when you get a, a normal set, and let's say there's like five planeswalkers in a set, you could put them all next to each other and you can figure out which ones are the best and which ones aren't. But it doesn't necessarily matter because like you can only like you're only ever going to have one in a pack unless you have a foil, so it doesn't really matter. But with the uncommons and the fact that you get one in every pack now is you have to compare these to, you know, good common removal spells, good other good uncommons, maybe creatures or removal spells. Plus, you have to compare them to rares or mythics that aren't necessarily planeswalkers. So you are going to get a lot of choices where you have a mythic or a rare planeswalker and a mythic or a rare spell or creature or something. And you're going to have these challenges where, you know... how do you evaluate the planeswalker how do you evaluate the the repeatable ability um and how does that just compare to a creature that affects the board right away so i'm not really sure how to approach this and i don't know if you have any thoughts on this i do actually so for me 
it's interesting to think back in limited formats of yore. There are very few planeswalkers that you weren't just auto slamming, and very few planeswalkers that you wouldn't straight up switch colors for if you opened them in pack two. So if I'm pretty sure I'm black and I'm probably black white, and then I open a Vivian in pack two, hey, we're green now. Like that's just the power level that they have. And we were just brainstorming before we did the podcast. We thought of what three planeswalkers that you didn't immediately slam. Yeah, like it's it's pretty tough. Like we thought of uh, Tybalt, uh, one of the Nisses from the recent set. No, is it Liliana? Is the zombie sorry, Liliana. Liliana? And Kaya. What was the one from Kaya? Those are the three that came to the top, like the front of my mind immediately. But it's really tough. Like I couldn't think of many more. Yeah. And I think, generally speaking, when you open a Planeswalker, you slam it, and you're excited, and you're happy. And, like, there's still going to be that excitement. Like, Planeswalkers are cool. There's a lot of lore here. Like, there's a lot going on at the set. But if we look at it mechanically, there's a very clear line drawn between the uncommon Planeswalkers we've seen so far and the rare Planeswalkers we've seen so far. And that the, the uncommon Planeswalkers aren't really Planeswalkers like you would think of. They're more like, I really think the best comparison so far is a saga. They come into play, they usually have a minus ability, and from what I can tell, most of them can use that minus ability twice or three times. And there's a couple that that bend that. So you really have to just look at that minus ability and see, is this worth a card? Look at the static ability. Is this worth a card? And then be aware if you're playing it on an empty board, again, your opponent can just attack these if the static ability is, is... troublesome enough and they'll be able to kill it and take care of it that way so i really think the uncommon ones we should look at as close to sagas and not just say they're planeswalkers they must be good because i actually think there's some that are not great some that are pretty good and some that are awesome at the uncommon level but you're going to have to evaluate them on a case-by-case basis when we get up into the rare ones that's when we're actually looking at things that are closer to the planeswalkers we're used to now Many of these still don't actually have what you would call a real ultimate, but they've got plus and minus abilities, and both of them typically are somewhat useful. So, like, these are actual Planeswalkers that you'd want to play plus a couple times, minus once, and defend as you're playing. And then I think when we hit the actual mythic ones, these are the ones that are like, okay, these are the Planeswalkers we're used to. You play it, your opponent's got four turns, or you're going to ultimate and ultimate it and win. So I really think you have to put them into those categories of the uncommon ones or more like sagas or some sort of weird enchantment that I'm going to use, plus get to cast a spell off of it. And again, I'm aware of the the neat interaction, right? That they only minus so you can never plus them again, but proliferate is a big mechanic here. So that would put counters back on your planeswalkers and let you use them more. Um, So I, I think that's our baseline is just recognizing that big gulf between the uncommon planeswalkers and the rare ones. Yeah. And I don't think the pl- the proliferate is going to come up as much as people think it will. And even when it does, it's generally speaking, it's probably not going to get you an extra activation off of your planeswalker, or maybe if you're lucky, it will, um, you know, cause you know, your planeswalker is going to die or it might take a couple of points of damage at some point. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily count on that. So, I think what I'm looking for when I see the 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 uncommon planeswalkers are what am I getting for the for the sorcery speed activation? So um you know what what's that first minus look like? And I think they split as far as I can tell right now just from the ones that have been spoiled, they split into three categories. 
you have one that that creates creatures or ones that create creatures, which we know how those are going to work, right? Yeah. We've seen history of Benalia or whatever. Ones that, that function as removal, which we've seen before as well, right? Like a planeswalker comes down and removes something right away. Like, cool. I know I can evaluate that. This is a five mana sorcery speed murder, which I guess is Lich's Caress. Yeah. Um, that, that maybe I'll get lucky and I'll be able to do it again. So I can evaluate that, right? Like I can I can get a two for one off of this. I think where it's going to be tough to evaluate are the ones that don't do either of those. Like, the ones that are utility. So there's a a, a Samet here uh, for two and hybrid green-red, hybrid green-red. So four mana total. And minus one, target creature gets plus two, plus one, and gains haste until end of turn, scry one. Like, it, it's more burn than it is removal, and it's not necessarily making a creature... So it's like you have these weird activated abilities that that are more utility than they are, uh, you know, something we can clearly define, I think. It's also kind of interesting here in that her static ability are, is creatures you control have haste. So it's kind of like, yeah, but she could already give things haste? I think the reason it gives, the minus one gives things haste is so that if she loses her last loyalty... The creature still has haste. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Right. So, so that's that's the reason why it's redundant. But you're right. Like creatures you control have haste. You know, the the minus ability is not something I can necessarily evaluate, but I can certainly look at that static ability and evaluate that and compare that to, say, Rhythm of the Wild, or we've seen things before, uh, enchantments that give creatures haste, or at least creatures that give cre- other creatures haste. Um, See, I I don't think these would be that difficult to evaluate. I, I, I and maybe maybe I'm crazy, but I think I can look at a card like this. And let's say that you're drafting Guilds of Ravnica, right? Or let's mm-hmm. make it better. Let's make it Ravnica Allegiance, okay? Because this is a gruel card. So let's say that there's an enchantment for four mana that says creatures you control have haste at the beginning of combat on your turn. Give target creature plus two plus one scry one. And that's basically what it is, right? Are you playing that? Uh, Probably not. And this is worse than that. Yeah. So this, like, I'm not saying it's unplayable, and there's certainly people that will kill you with it. Like, it goes back, those of you that have been listening for a long time, to the Blood Mist argument from Shadows Over Innistrad. Like, that card was awful, but it was also high variance. So, like, I can remember a PPTQ that I actually, like, managed to get my wins in. I had an awful pool. And I was like, okay, it's time to go for bar- variance. And I played Blood Mist, and I managed to get my wins with it. But I knew I was flipping coins. And it's it's mm-hmm. not really what I wanted to do. So I, I think some of these Planeswalkers, if you just think about it, if it's an enchantment that just did this and didn't cost loyalty, would I be, would I be like, oh my god, this is crazy, I want this? If yes, then, then start to take into account, okay, I can only do it so many times. So like her ability, mm-hmm. I'm not even convinced I would want. I don't think so. I think the challenge that I was referring to is more that there's nothing to compare them to. Like some of these ones that have utility. So, for example, you compare this to Blood Mist. But other than that, there's not really anything I can think of that you can compare Samet to. Whereas if you if you take something that, you know, minus two, make a two-two wizard or whatever, right? At least you can compare that because you can compare it to a two-two. And we know what a two-two should cost. We know what a two-two that loots you a card should cost. See, so, like... 
some of these are easier to evaluate than others, I think. Well, hit me with another one that you think is weird, because honestly, I, I think having played Magic for forever, I can find analogs for a lot of these. Uh, okay, that's fair. Let's look at... Uh, Dovin's a really bad example, because I think it's just bad. Um, Sahili? Okay. Sahili. Okay, so it's one blue-red hybrid. So is it hybrid? Is it hybrid? So for three mana, five loyalty. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token. So not quite mystic, uh, murmuring mystic. Not that far away from it, though. Minus two, target artifact you control becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature you control until end of turn. Except as an artifact in addition to its other types. So you get to turn artifacts into other artifacts. Mm-hmm. Or creatures, or creatures. So you can turn your servos into into big creatures. Yeah. Or little creatures, or whatever, right? So so obviously we have the first one. But that obviously, the, and that second one just kind of just sounds bad to me. But, you know, I also don't have a context to put that in. I've never played with anything kind of similar to that. Yes, you have. I think have. that's where my challenge is. Yes, you have. Okay, give it to me. You have played with cards that are similar to this. Okay, so the mechanic for blue-red decks, God, for the past five years, has been play instants and sorceries. This one is, sure. is that build-around, play instants and sorceries, but you can also play artifacts, and you can also play planeswalkers. So it's basically saying, resolve this, cast literally anything else that's not a creature, you get a free thopter, or excuse me, a free servo, and you get to... Sure. And- that's easy to evaluate, right? We've had Murmuring Mystic. That's fine. It's the minus two. Okay. So if... What does that do? What does that do? So in Limited, it probably means you've got a good creature or two. And if the board state is saying to you, I would like to have a temporary clone of this. We've played clone spells before. Like sure. we had the three mana copy your your creature on the board in the core set, right? This is just saying mm-hmm. you can do that, but with haste. You've got to jump through a and lot it's... of hoops to do it, but you can do it. And only until end of turn. And only until end of turn. So you're only so, getting to do it while you attack. Right. So it's a copy. It's like mirror image or clone or whatever, except it's temporary. And you can only do it twice. And you have to do it with artifacts. So you see we're kind of, you're putting all of these things together and you can be like, you know, it'd be like this, but it'd not really be like this. And that and that's where I think the challenging, it's going to be challenging for pe- people to evaluate. And maybe for, for players like you and me, it won't be challenging. But I think for somebody sitting down at the pre-release or their first draft and flipping through these planeswalkers, it'd be like, I don't know how to evaluate this. I really feel bad for people who have just casually played Magic that go to a pre-release and open six planeswalkers and think they're supposed to play all of them, right? Like, But that's going to happen. Yeah, it's absolutely going to happen. But I, I really do think there's analogs for these. And if you walk through what they all do, I, I think you can evaluate them and like... For me, that sounds like a lot of hoops to jump through for Sahili, uh, unless you have a very spell-dense deck and you're looking to kill your opponent with 1-1 servos. Yeah. But definitely, you're on the right track for sure, and I, I, I do agree with you. I'm mostly just kind of coming at it from like a, uh, a layman's perspective, I guess is probably the best way to put it. But you're right. Trying to find these analogs is the way to go. And, you know, you're not only evaluating these on what you're going to pick and what you're going to play in your deck, but I think you also have to evaluate them for the threat that they pose on the battlefield when they're played across from you. So that's actually going to be another piece of this, right? Is being able to look at a planeswalker that is not in your deck and figuring out, do I have to kill that thing? Do I have to attack that thing? Do I have to get it off the table right away? Or can I just ignore it? So quite frequently when my opponent would play like a, like a Kaya 
in uh, Ravnica Allegiance. Whatever. I just ignored it. Right? Like, it didn't matter. It's going to gain them two life. It's better to attack their face or whatever. I like, can get more, more damage through that way. The number of Planeswalkers I'm going to ignore in this set, I think, is going to be obviously higher than any other set that I've ever drafted. Yes, unless they have another ability that you want to get off the table. But you'll also have to bear in mind, as like if you're drafting an aggro deck, I presume there will be an aggro deck in this format if it's got two drops. Is like if your opponent is going to have two or three planeswalkers in their deck, and there are actually some of them that you have to kill, they're going to have a little bit of extra life than you're used to. Yeah, right. Like I guess if 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 I play a planeswalker that acts as a removal spell. Um, what's a good one in here that does the Wanderer? The Wanderer, yeah. The Wanderer is a good example, right? This is and this is actually a pretty well costed one, I think. So three and a white for a five loyalty Planeswalker, uh, minus two exile target creature with power four or greater. We've paid three mana for that in the past and been eh on it. But sometimes you have to play it. Sometimes you didn't really want to. I mean, I paid four um, mana for it for instant speed and shadows, and I was happy. Right. So there you go. And we uh, there's going to be targets for it in this format, right? Obviously. And the static ability is prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and other permanents you control, which is actually pretty sweet because they can't point like a lightning bolt at, at the Wanderer or your creatures, which is pretty reasonable. But this has to be removed or else you're going to lose your next big creature that you play, right? Like that's just going to happen. Um, it turns off all your fight spells. So... So, like, a card like this has to die, but if I'm, you know, if you're looking at cards like this that are in your opponent's deck, now they've gained themselves, you know, four, eight life off the creature that they removed, plus they've gained three or more life from the attacks that this thing has absorbed. So, like, you're probably looking at somewhere between eight and ten life, on average, I would say, that this card will gain. Yeah. Because it obviously acts as a removal spell and it acts as a buffer for your life total, and sometimes even more. So... You know, burning your opponent out, aggroing them out is is potentially a risky strategy in this. We're probably looking at more control and more mid range than we would be aggro, I would guess. Yeah, we'll have to see though, because like there's there's also going to be the deck that's like, you know what? I'm just going to take two drops and combat tricks, and you can have all your cool planeswalkers because you'll be dead before they do anything. I mean, planeswalkers don't block, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that that's the downside. So I think I think when I'm evaluating them, just kind of on a first pass. I'm really interested in the ones that uh, have creatures attached to them and the ones that have removal attached to them first. Yeah. That's the, the, that's the first thing I'm looking for. And then evaluating everything after that on a secondary level. Um, and I don't know, like, what I'm looking for in utility yet, but I think it'll be interesting to kind of sit down and look at them. Yeah, I, I think it probably separates into they make creatures, they cast removal spells, or um, the, the they're basically functioning as some sort of in- enchantment. They're kind of like build-arounds might be a good way to think about it. There's going to be a lot of build-arounds in here. Yeah. So, like, Teo the Shield Mage. I- I'm having trouble figuring out why I would ever put this in my limited deck, and I- maybe maybe you don't. Maybe it's just a-, a solid F. But maybe there's some kind of weird build-around. So, you have Hexproof. Doesn't really do anything. It might do a few things. We'll see. And then minus two, create an O three 3 white wall creature token with Defender. Sideboard against aggro, I guess. So <laughs> the for, potentially non-existent aggro deck. So for three mana, you get two zero three walls, and you have Hexproof, and they'll defend Teo plus your other Planeswalkers. 
Like, mm-hmm. if you're looking to build a dirtily control deck, this this could be a card you put in it. So, like, get it on the wheel and, and put it in your blue-white Azorius already control deck? I mean, would you pay three mana for a 3-3? Three, three? For a 3-3? Three, three? Yeah. I always pay three mana for a 3-3. Three, three. Of course, this is the same stat line. <laughs> the exact same stat yeah, line? It's just Sick. it's just all but. Six total power and toughness spread over two bodies. You can't go wrong. You've got a... Would you pay three mana for an 0-3 and a 3-0? <laughs> yeah. I would. Staple them together, probably. Exactly. I mean, you're not... And, and that's the thing, right? Is like, I'm going to go through here when we do a set preview, and I'm going to say, like, this Planeswalker sucks. I'm never going to draft it. And that's obviously going to be hyperbole, because I think there's likely a deck for a lot of these planeswalkers at least all the ones that i've seen so far Mm -hmm. like you know there's maybe one here that i'm having trouble seeing at least not coming out of the sideboard um so i I think it's interesting so looking through here what's your favorite one that you have kind of on your uncommon list so far that you've seen as far as do you have one uncommons yeah as far as the uncommons forget the rares forget the mythics those they're whatever those are easy i mean there's a lot of them that I like. I guess I probably I probably like Nahiri. Nahiri's pretty interesting. I want your t- what's your take on Nahiri then? So two and Boros Boros hybrid hybrid for six loyalty with minus X. She deals X damage to target tapped creature. So you know we don't like necessarily take vengeance or assassinate or whatever they are in the. In- in sets pass it really depends on the format because generally you've been hit by the creature before you've got an opportunity to remove it but sometimes it's good and then as long as it's your turn creatures you control have first strike and equip abilities you activate cost one less to activate so it's really that first one everything on your side gets first strike is probably the more relevant one Mm -hmm. so what i'm kind of digging here there's there's three things i like about nahiri one is that hybrid mana cost means she's not just a boros card and if we're actually playing a deck with 10 color pairs instead of just five, there's a surprising amount of decks that she can go into. Because I can pair her with literally white anything, literally red anything. And red-white, she'll just be easier to cast. Right? So Assassinate is not always my favorite card. Three mana, destroy target, tapped creature. This is functionally four for that, but I might get to do it twice if they're small. And I might be able to play her and get an attack that I wouldn't normally have otherwise uh, because of the first strike. Uh, So she's rewarding you for being somewhat aggressive, but just giving your dude's first strike might give you the opportunity to attack a Planeswalker that's doing something you don't like. And if they swing back, they've got this awkward thing of like, well, I could hit Nahiri for three with my 3-2, but then she's just going to kill it. So I I think it gives you some interesting things, and I, I think it's an ability I like. Uh, it's it's one that's pushing you to get your opponents to race you. And then just, again, very flexible if you pick it early because you can put it in a bunch of different decks. And then also, I, I think the static ability is good. I think the minus ability is good. I could see turns where you, you plunk her down, minus four on something, and then swing through uh, your opponents because maybe you're in like a board stall. Your opponent swung with a, with a big flyer. You get rid of it and then smash through at the first strike and all of a sudden your opponent's put in the position of, you know, do I take like nine damage or do I double block some things and try to remove and then come back at Nahiri the following turn? I think that's an interesting little little uh, little play pattern we got on this one. The one I'm most looking forward to is is Kasuma Enig- Enigna- Enigmatic, I can't speak English today, 
uh, mentor. Uh, she's a five loyalty planeswalker for three and a blue. Create a two-two blue wizard creature token for minus two. Draw a card, then discard a card. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Make a two-two loot twice. Um, and then spells your opponents ca- cast that target a creature planeswalker you control cost two or more or two more to cast two more generic mana to cast so a little bit of protection um you know we've seen effects like this in the past on like nullhide ferox and things like that it can be annoying to have to pay that extra tax um but the fact that she can come down make a 2-2 which is probably a relevant body for i mean it's four mana like we've seen that for three mana with an effect on it and then getting that loot right away is, is pretty sweet it is like the 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 quadrant theory is what bugs me about uh, Casmina, right? Like, if I'm behind, this may be too slow. Because, like, I make a 2-2 that's kind of irrelevant, and they attack past it, killer. Like, yeah, I gained some life and made a 2-2, but I'm not crazy about that. Whereas I, I feel like Nahiri goes in more decks, does something when I'm ahead, does something when I'm behind. So, like, I, I like her a little bit more. But, yeah, this is a cool card. I, I love looting. That's one of my favorite yeah, I mean- things to do. You can you can say it's it's not great when you're behind. Um, there's not a lot of planeswalkers that are really good when you're behind, at least in the uncommon state, unless they have removal staple to them. Yeah, right. Like a lot of the ones that make creatures are making two twos or whatever, one ones or three threes. Like it, it's it's going to be, they're going to suck when you're behind. I think anything that doesn't have removal staple to it, and even the ones that do have removal staple to it, is just a sorcery speed removal that's just going to die next turn anyway. So it's like you know you might as well just have a murder in your deck. So I think. I think you're right. You're definitely not wrong on that one, but I'll be interested to see how they shake out at the end, you know, in terms of the quadrant theory. But, like, you know, you put her down in parity or something like that, and that loot could uh, could be the difference. It could be. It also depends on the rest of the format. And, like, this is something I, I, I want to help people understand. The less mana sinks a format has, the better looting is. So we'll need to look at the rest of this format to really determine it. But it's interesting, like, in Ixalan, Rummaging Goblin was one of my favorite cards to get when I was in red. Because generally speaking, your deck had literally nothing to do with the 7th land. Like, once you hit the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th land, it was just stone dead. There was just no place to put that mana. So being able to rummage in in that format was worth playing a 3-mana 1-1, right? Whereas if you've got a format that's very deep with, with mana sinks and there's a lot of stuff to do with your mana, like... Looting is still not bad there, but, like, I didn't really care about looting when I had the Hoopo. Like, I'll just keep drawing cards, man. It's fine. And more lands just mean eventually I'll be drawing three cards a turn instead of two. So, like, a loot effect in a format with no mana sinks is very powerful. A a loot effect in a format with a lot of mana sinks can be less exciting. That's totally fair. So we'll see how the format shakes down. All I do know is that I will be casting a lot of Planeswalkers, and it'll be fun. Like, Planeswalkers are fun. Having things that change the way combat works or change, you know, makes your decisions different in combat. Like, who do you attack? It makes for interesting scenarios uh, for yourself or for your opponent and interesting games. So hopefully it doesn't bog down the format and limited sucks. I'm optimistic that having, you know, these extra Planeswalkers will actually make the format skill-intensive, challenge me as a player, and uh, we'll see. Maybe I can take advantage of, of... my superior combat skills when it comes to Magic the Gathering and uh, and crush some fools at the pre-release. And it, I mean, not just that. Planeswalkers are cool. Like, everybody has a favorite Planeswalker. And chances are, whoever your favorite Planeswalker is, uh, is going to be in the set. 
So, like, it's neat to see them represented. It's neat to see some old favorites revisited, some characters that we've heard referenced that didn't have cards. Like, it's just cool to see kind of everybody showing up for the party. Yeah, and, and I know sometimes you're not much for the story, but the uh, the story of the Planeswalkers all being here I think is cool, so people that enjoy that will, will get a kick out of that, and it's really easy to follow the cards along and interesting to follow the characters along through the cards so having all these planeswalkers represented as cards i think is is a pretty cool for those people as well so basically everybody likes something about magic and it seems like everybody's getting their thing out of this set so far i like the story man like i i like magic lore my dnd campaign with characters from amonkhet just had a battle with lord belzenlock like I like magic and magic lore. I just like mechanically I'm used to like play limited, win limited. So that tends to be my focus. But even I think some of these cards are cool and I'm excited about them. Like I was super tickled when I got to show off Domri today to see that his staff that he's wielding has bolus horns. Like that's exciting to me. That's really cool. Have you actually read any of the stories? The recent ones? I haven't read any for War of the Spark. Yeah, I haven't read any for War of the Spark, but I read, like, the Amonkhet series was really good. That was the first one that I really got involved in and, like, really enjoyed this. And this feels like the extension of that yeah, to me, really the does. War of the Spark. So I need to catch up on the series and, and look at that. But I kind of skipped out on, like, the Dominaria, Ravnica lead up to that, uh, and especially the Ixalan stuff, too. But the, the Amonkhet and then this kind of the conclusion to Amonkhet, it feels like to me, is uh, it's really exciting. It's really interesting for me. So I can appreciate now, like why people follow the story because I can, I can get involved. And then we had like, I know you didn't really get super excited for the trailer, but they had the trailer for war of the spark, which was, I think it was their first animated, like fully animated trailer instead of just being like, um, kind of like parallaxed images of cards, like card art from the set as part of the trailer. Um, and the people that liked it, like really liked it. I really liked it. Um, but it was like trending on YouTube for a couple of days. It hit like 5 million views in the first couple of hours or something like that like it got a ridiculous amount of traction um and it's for a it's a story for a card game that is 25 years old yeah that's a big deal this is a big deal right so i, I imagine the people at wizards were doing a little dance happy dances the the numbers were rolling in off, off the youtube there but it's a you know it's Go ahead. It's also like the culmination of the story. Like, it doesn't matter when you started playing. If you took a little break and are coming back now, like, there's cards here from as far back as, as Battle for Zendikar. Bob Nixilis is here. Did you enjoy playing in Shadows? Nihiri's here. Was Kaladesh your jam? Say hello to Sahili. Like, there's a piece of nostalgia in this for anybody that's been playing Magic for the past four years. And some even longer than that. Like, again, if Dominaria didn't bring you back, you're still going to recognize Teferi. You're going to be like, Karn? I remember Karn. Jaya? I remember Jaya. So, like, regardless of when you played Magic, whatever character you thought was cool, they're probably in the set. And there's even characters here that didn't have representation before, or may even be brand new Planeswalkers. Like, there's Planeswalkers here I don't recognize. Maybe they were casually mentioned in the story. Like, the Wanderer has never had a card. I think it's just been referenced. Um it's interesting there's gonna be something for everybody here and i think it's really cool it's like if if dominaria was here to bring all of the the old folks back and be like hey look we got this like we're still playing magic you want to come back like you remember the good old days this is like locking in the new people for life this is like saying 
you know, hey, look at this awesome planeswalker that you got in Uncommon. Everybody gets a planeswalker. Isn't this super cool? And they run home and they build their commander deck out of Arlen, the Uncommon planeswalker. They built their mono green werewolf deck and they're super excited for it. Like, it's really cool. And we're going to see kind of the culmination, I think, of both of these groups of people together in the next year, maybe two, especially with Arena and, you know, the Mythic Invitational and esports and all of this stuff. It's, we're, I said it before, like, I, I used to think we were in the golden age of magic, and I think we were, uh, at least when it came to limited magic, but we might be approaching the new golden age of magic when it comes to um, the player base and the, kind of the number of people or the types of people that are playing. I, I'm really excited for the future of magic, and I didn't really think about it until you mentioned that, but, like, this this set is, like, this is the definite something for everybody in this set. I think what's actually happened is we're approaching the mythic age of magic, the mythic age well what's after that because if we're if mythic is is the highest thing like are we are we done are we peaking too soon okay then maybe we should say we're reaching the diamond age of magic okay there we go yeah we still got a ways to go we still got a few pips to go before we hit mythic yeah and our rank resets yeah (laughs) all right well that was a nice talk i appreciate you humoring me and talking about planeswalkers and limited because like i said lame duck period there's only a few things you can do and enjoy magic and uh i'm glad you you walk down spoiler lane with me. And I, I want to reiterate, it's not that I hate spoilers or that I don't like preview season. It's that most of my interest in playing Magic is what can I do in draft? What can I do in sealed? Now, if your interest is what can I brew a deck around, preview season is, is awesome. Because you see this first card and you're like, ooh, I might can build a deck around that. And you see the second card that goes with it and you're like, I'm going to build this deck. And like you're building it in your mind. And like, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to copy somebody else's good deck list and play it if I have a tournament to play in. What I really get excited about, which is cool that they're actually spoiling this time, is the common removal spells. Is there a 3-3 for 3? What's the base stat line? How hard is it to get a 4-5? Is there a 5-4 in the format? Like these are the things I'm super excited to find out. And typically in the past, you don't find that out until the whole set's released. So it's it's not that I, I hate Planeswalkers or I'm anti-fun. Like, I, I think they're cool, and I'm excited to get to preview some myself, and I'm, I'm always very excited to get to see them. But I want to see the whole set, because that's, that's really where I get to brew, is how many copies of, you know, Domri Anarch of Bolas am I going to get to open? Like, that that's interesting to know. How, how many 3-3s for 3 can I get in a deck? That, that's interesting to me, too. I'm sorry, all I heard in there was you're not fun. Or sorry, you're anti-fun. Firmly anti-fun. You heard it here first. All right. I just wanted to make sure. So in this corner, we have anti-fun. And in the other corner, we have the infinite possibility of everything that is fun. Yes. Okay, great. Perfect. We're on the same page. Yes. At least in the same (laughs) multiverse. All right, cool. Well, and I do look forward to doing the kind of the the usual uh, preview show that we'll do. uh, I guess that's two weeks-ish from now. Um, And... Let me look at the calendar here. Yeah, it looks like the, yeah, we'll be... the full set is going to be out on the 19th, if I understand it properly. Uh, yep. Ethan and I will be scheduling a review for the week after that to do like the super long, you know, four to six hour. This one's probably going to be closer to six uh, individual card review on stream. It'll be on mine this time. And then usually that night is when we do our preview show. Yeah, and then we'll hope to we'll get have that out for you at least uh, before the pre-release weekend. And if we're super lucky and and on the ball, we'll have it out before uh, War of the Spark is out on Magic Arena. Yeah, and worst case scenario, so, we will have gotten to play a couple games with the cards, so we can actually have somewhat informed opinions. Like it's all good, man. Absolutely, 
and we've done that before we we've done the the podcast Thursday with like we've played like a day's worth of sealed or whatever and had some some first opinions so I'm looking forward to it it's going to be exciting times I love I love new set season so yeah but once again thanks for listening we're going to call it there so thanks to face to face games for the support and the host and where can they catch you streaming nothing but limited for the next week you can find me at twitch.tv/simulan I'm also on Twitter under the same. It's at Simulan. And if you were following me on Twitter, you got to see Domri's removal spell this morning super early. Uh, so follow me on Twitter. Yeah, that was super cool. And then I'm at uh, Twitter. I'm DSavillian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.